Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. scripture this morning is way, way back in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. I bet you, Gary, you could probably recite this to us. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm starting in the middle of a paragraph, so it's not fair, but this is God talking to Moses uh, after God has led the Israelites out of Egypt. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The word of God for us, the people of God, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. We are almost to the third anniversary of what? COVID. Oh, yes. Uh, March 13, 2020 me and a couple of goofballs decided we're going to take our trip to Chicago on the Amtrak. One of those goofballs is running the, the camera, or the slides today up there. There he is. He's waving to you. And uh, it, despite the barrage of information we were receiving about this impending virus thing, we, uh, well, we were good. We were going to go to Chicago, and we did. We, we had our own homemade hand sanitizer, right? We were good. You remember you couldn't get the stuff on the shelves, so you'd get aloe and rubbing alcohol, and you made your own hand sanitizer. And um, we were ready. We, on, the, on the way to the train station, we stopped off and ate at Venetia in Mid-City. So good. And ran into a bunch of people we know. We were hugging and, and convincing ourselves that nothing was going to come of this pandemic thing. And we took the trip to Chicago. And Chicago was still a little, it was a little shut down, although it was the weekend that St. Patrick's Day was observed, and miraculously, the people in Chicago celebrating St. Patrick's Day seemed to know nothing about any COVID protocols. But then on March 15, as we were at Midway Airport in Chicago, getting a snack before we got on the plane, the word came into the little restaurant, Da Bears. No, it wasn't the Bears. <laughs> it was a, all right, shut it down. That was a pretty good Chicago accent. And things around us in the airport started to shut down. So we managed to get in our plane and take off, but it had this eerie, weird, reminiscent feeling of that scene from the movie Independence Day when the president is getting out of Washington on the plane, and as they're taking off, the aliens are blowing up the runways behind them. That's what it kind of felt like. If I had to say that one of the worst things that came out of the COVID-19 experience is this idea that people need distance between each other. I mean, 
the idea that we need our own space took on a whole new meaning. It was demanded by many people, and it was enforced by many people. Now, please note that this sermon today is not a discussion about health concerns. But as the message relates to the need for personal space generally, I contend that the personal space requirement has been impermissibly expanded among us, certainly beyond anything that Scripture ever contemplates. In fact, just starting with the Scripture that we just read about the Israelites concerning the uh, uh, God and his relationship with Israel and how he says we're supposed to be close to each other, if that's our natural relationship to God, being close like that, then that should be our natural relationship with other people. Now think about this church and a lot of similarly situated churches. We're pretty good in our own huddle, but how often are we willing to bust down the doors and take it out to the streets? Parenthetically, we're getting ready to do that March 25. I want you all to be a part of that, but how often do we do that? We think to ourselves, well, we're kind of small. We're really too small to make any real difference in the world. We can't compare to what a large church does, and in so doing, we forget that all of us individually as well as a church are kingdom people who belong to God. Instead, we tend to stay to ourselves. This potential ministry shortcoming dovetails with what we discussed last week that is the approach of many self-professed Christians. They don't walk with God. They want God to walk along with them. And this is a, an approach which is similar to a church that just can't seem to reach out. Why would God want to work through us? And anyway, we've got our stuff together. We're good people. And we're going to do what we think is right. And if God wants to come along with us for the ride, well, that's up to God, not me. So we become comfortable. We have wonderful thoughts about reaching the world for Jesus, but we don't really see that happening. We stay in a huddle with our group, and we don't necessarily have personal space between or among ourselves, but we have created a vast space between us and a world in need. Forgetting that God called us for a bigger kingdom cause, bigger than us, bigger than, bigger than any of us. Someone would some describe that approach as this. They said it's people spending a lot of time debating how big our salt shaker is and how much salt's in the shaker as to opposed to figuring out whether the salt is actually impacting the world at all. Now, most of us know the subject of the scripture that we read this morning, the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. In Exodus 19, about three months after they had been freed from Egypt, the Israelites came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped at the front of the mountain. And the Lord had a word for Moses and his people, some of whom I think were already starting to complain about the conditions. God said, I want to, you to remember how I delivered you out of Egypt. But God reminded them not only of that, but also that he was bringing them into a dynamic relationship with God. So here's a question. Do the Israelites have a kingdom vision so that they could really live into that relationship with God. You know what a vision is. You know, when we talk about a vision statement, um, it's what the world will look like if we accomplish our mission. For example, the mission statement of the United Methodist Church is what? Who knows it? To make disciples for the transformation of the world. That actually kind of incorporates the vision in it. If we make disciples of Jesus Christ, then the world is going to look a certain way. It's going to be transformed and look better. 
But you can't have that kind of kingdom vision, having a sense of what the world can and should look like if God's purposes are achieved, if you don't have a kingdom relationship with God. In that same way, we can't have a kingdom vision for the work that we do, what the world will look like if we satisfactorily pursue and achieve God's mission for us if we don't know God, if God is second place in our lives. Because when God is second place in our lives, the mission we pursue is not his, it's ours. If social distancing and even more aggressive separation is a component of the pandemic was about protecting things like our, our health, although I'll be cynical enough to say it was about protecting our stuff as well because we figured if we don't have our, our health, we may lose our stuff. Then I suggest that any separation we have from God is also about protecting what we think we have. I can't put God first because he may not approve of what I do. Pride. I can't put God first because he may put me in circumstances which require me to sacrifice my social status or my material possessions. Pride. But perhaps the most insidious of these I can't put God first issues is this. I can't put God first because that will compete with any idea that I have that I am actually in control. This week on our church website, I got a somewhat odd prayer request that I thought, I'm going to trace this down and see where it came from. And I don't know if I ever got to the source, but in the process of this research, I ended up on another church's website where they have prayer requests and they actually show the prayer requests. And there was this very distressing request from a guy named Mike. And Lord, when you hear this, we need to pray for Mike. But this is what he said. Unemployed again, rent raised, money dwindling, car just got out of the shop again. No wife, no friends, no life. My health, most of all, is the main thing. I have no energy, none. Severe exhaustion and brain fog beyond belief. Blood tests reveal nothing. I'm literally like a zombie or a walking vegetable, but yet I have to go out and maintain a job. That would be tolerable if I was well, but I'm not even close. Eyesight going bad, bad back, supernatural blocks on every aspect of my life. Been a life of stagnation, broken dreams and loneliness, and now my health. I have to take multiple naps and sleep multiple times a day just to be able to move ahead. What's wrong with me? I can't function like this. This is no way to live. I'm not alert, awake, or even alive like this. God, either take me or fix me, but don't leave me in this horrific limbo. Take me home or fix me, but don't do nothing. Jesus, if you or the Apostle Paul had this level of sickly exhaustion, you'd never have been able to complete your mission. How do you expect me to get through the day or the rest of my life like this. This guy, it strikes you that if someone just smiled at this man, his heart would melt. Now, the prayer request online didn't show any follow-up to this. And it's possible that after Mike acknowledged this admittedly tough set of circumstances, that Mike surrendered his life to God. And in getting close to God, 
He was exposed to and received the peace that passes all understanding that we talk about. The peace that is possible in God because it does it has nothing to do with all the other maladies we might be suffering in our life. Or it's also possible that might continue down the path of despair because like a lot of us, he had so much right in front of him, he couldn't see God. Which of course raises a question for us, although I will contend it's an illegitimate question, but it's this. How bad does it have to get for us to turn everything over to God? Because I think for a lot of us, our lack of a proper relationship with God stems from our feelings of prosperity and comfort. And why would we want to mess with that? Why would we want to mess with that when we can proclaim ourselves as good people and get patted on the back by our associates and acquaintances? When we can assume that God is blessing all we are doing, when in fact there's no scriptural support for that at all, if we're not doing what we do in the name of God based on a relationship with God. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, he directs us, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Folks, there's no way we can accomplish what Paul is directing there if God is not first in our life and our relationship with God is not deep. I was struck this week by a comment from a commentator on television regarding the high-profile trial most of us saw on television this week. Concerning the defendant, the commentator said, he has lied about everything for so long, he, know he has forgotten what it looks like to tell the truth. We're appalled at that concept, that anyone could be that way. But we have all learned along the way of life that for all of us, the longer we move down a path, for example, a path where God is second or third in our life, that the more we tell ourselves, or dare I say lie to ourselves, that that path is acceptable to God. God clearly outlined in this morning's scripture what he expects from those people in a covenant relationship with him. He says, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Now note that when God says if, he says, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, that is not a condition for the Israelites to be redeemed. They were already redeemed out of Egypt. They weren't going to lose that. And the same is true for us. The if in the clause is not related to our redemption so much as it is about having a kingdom relationship with God here on this earth. It is about asking God into your life to be number one. It is about acknowledging that when you gather your belongings for the journey, you need to remember that most importantly, you belong to God. Let us pray.
God, we're always looking for a sense of belonging among humans in society. Lord, the number one sense of belonging we have to have is being yours, your child, belonging to you, listening to you, obeying your will, having a constant conversation with you through prayer, Lord, so that we, every day of our lives, have a sense of place, know our position as, a, as your child so that we can go out and do the things that you want us to do, Lord. Not our own mission, Lord, but your mission because we are in constant communion with you and acknowledge that we are yours and we are coming along to walk with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and our Savior. Amen.